This is September 28, 2012, and we're done. The IEG Canto 1, Chapter 8, Text 22 to 27. I don't have the attendance sheet today. First day you come and I don't have the Okay, let's read through the verses. like a lotus flower, who are always decorated with garlands of lotus flowers, whose glance is as cool as a lotus, and whose feet are engraved with the lotus. Namaha Pankaja Mahabaya, Namaha Pankaja Mahine, Namaha Pankaja Namaste Pankaja O Rishikesh, master of the senses and lord of lords, you have released your mother Devaki, who is long imprisoned and distressed by the envious king Kamsa, and me and my children from a series of constant dangers. My dear Krishna, your lordship has protected us from a poison cake, from a great fire, from cannibals, from the vicious assembly, from sufferings during our exile in the forest, and from the battle where great generals fought. And now you have saved us from the weapon of Asvatama. I wish that all these calamities would happen again and again so that we could see you again and again. For seeing you means that we will no longer see repeated births and deaths. Vipada Santita Shashvat Tatra Tatra Jagat Guru Bhavato Darshanam Yatsyad Apunar Bhava Darshanam. My Lord, your Lordship can easily be approached, but only by those who are materially exhausted. One who is on the path of material progress, trying to improve himself with respectable parentage, great opulence, high education, and bodily beauty, cannot approach you in a sincere feeling. My obeisances are unto you who are the property of the materially impoverished. You have nothing to do with the actions and the actions of the material modes of nature. You are self-satisfied and therefore you are the most gentle and are the master of humanness. So there's quite a lot today. So I'm going to I think we'll just have my general presentation and then your questions. I want to first just go over the minor points in text 22. And he respects Krishna's feelings by not starting from his feet because she's his aunt. And she doesn't want to make him feel awkward by first offering obeisances to his feet. So she's very considerate of how Krishna feels. Uh, next is that she's using the word pankaja. There's many different words for lotuses. The word pankaja, which she's using over and over again, means born from mud. So that even though the lo- mud, mud. So even though the lotus is so beautiful, its birthplace is the mud. So even if our birthplace is mud, we can still be beautiful. And in 26, where Prabhupada says that the efficacy of our chanting depends on our sincere feeling. That chanting has potency, but depending on our mood, depending on our sincerity, we may or may not experience that potency. One of those quotes where it kind of goes right to the heart, isn't it? And you think, well, whatever I'm getting from my chanting and my practices, that's my responsibility. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not a problem with the process, it's a problem with me. In text 27, where Prabhupada says, uh, and this may be in the, I'm taking this from the verses, purports, and Prabhupada's lectures on these verses, as well as the Acharya's commentaries. But 27, Prabhupada says that if we have the slightest tinge 
the slightest tinge of thinking we can be happy in the material world, we have to take another body. So that's one other one of those quotes where I go, uh. And, and Prabhupada's explaining that that's because Krishna is very kind. And he wants us to fully experience anything that we want to experience. He wants us to be convinced. Uh, in 27, also in reference to Sanatana Goswami and the touchstone, Srila Prabhupada says that if it was Sanatana Goswami's touchstone, he wouldn't have kept it in the rubbish. Because for a devotee like Sanatana, there's nothing material and spiritual. Sarva Kalami Dham Brahma, everything is spiritual. It's only the neophyte devotees who have to distinguish between matter and spirit. So that's a very deep, although these are minor points in this section, each of these points is very deep, and each of these points we could speak about at length. Uh, also, uh, Kunti refers to the disrobing of Draupadi just by saying asat, sangha, the, the association of materialists. The Prabhupada translates it as the vicious assembly. Of course, that included people like Jonah and Vishnu. But their mood, because they didn't protect this woman who was about to be stripped naked in their presence, they were considered to be vicious. Okay, so that's just some side points that don't really fit in well to the main theme, but that I wanted to make sure we mention. So here I looked at one overall theme with several parts to it. And that is of being absorbed in Krishna with attachment and exclusive dependence. So I picked that as the overall theme for these five verses. So I may say, well, why do that? Why do that? Because we may like Krishna, but we may want to have Krishna and. And so many people ask this, why does it have to be just Krishna? Why can't it be Krishna and? Krishna and sense gratification, Krishna and this. Of course, you, you can. The demigods do that, and frankly, most religious people on this planet also do that, whether they're Vaishnavas or Christians or Muslims or whatever. Uh, most of them are doing God and. Right? This is the part for my family, this is the part for my career, this is the part for my hobby, this is the part for this, and this is the, my part for God. But here Kunti's talking about exclusive dependence and with attachment, not something official. Not just, okay, here's my God time. That I'm doing. So why? So Kunti is saying in text 25, that this way we get free from birth and death. And this is a point that Shiva Prabhupada's emphasizing all over the place in his purports and his lectures. This birth and death is a problem, everybody. It's not natural. You shouldn't be just satisfied with it. So the materialist may say, well, yeah, you got to take the good with the bad and the ups with the downs. It's just life and just get used to it and just accept it. The devotees are saying, no, we're not going to accept it. We're not going to accept it. Just like sometimes, uh, actually, it actually happens that a criminal is in jail for so long that when they're released from jail, they want to go back to jail. Because at least they know the jail. They were comfortable and they know their place in the jail. And sometimes when prisoners are released from jail, they commit suicide. Because they don't feel like they can function in the outside world. Take me back to the jail. Robert says the astronauts, they go up to the moon, then they have to come back. Oh, where's my home? Where's my home? You, you read this sometimes, if you ever read any of these, what they call near-death experiences. You ever heard of that, where people, their body is dead for some time, and they leave their body and have some experience and then return. And many of the people who have this experience, they say they meet some higher beings, and sometimes they'll say to these beings, I want to stay here, I, want, I don't want to go back to the earth. And then these other beings, they show them something from the earth. They show them how their parents are crying over their dead body, or their son is crying over their dead body, or something, usually some family member. And then, they'll be, oh no, I have to go back. What will they do without me? Okay. 
Bhakti Vigyanar has talked about this once how in the Mahabharata there's a story, what was his name? Magda, something like that. So he was invited to go to the heavenly planets. And the chariot came from the heavenly planets. And we're ready to take you. And he says, well, before I go, tell me a little bit about it. I'm not just going to go. What's his name? Nachiketa? Nachiketa. Anyway, okay. So he says, tell me about it. And they say, well, you get to be young and live for so long. And, but then at a certain point, your garland fades. And then you know it's time to go. And after that, you have this brief old age. Not like here where old age is like a third of our lives. <laughs> you have this, your garland fades and then you fall down back to earth. So this gentleman said, no, I'm not going there. I want to go someplace where happiness is eternal. And like Vigyanar is just making the point, he says, would we respond in the same way? You know, if Indra came with his chariot and said, get in and come to Swarga, would we just do it? As long as nobody was looking. You know? Just like sometimes at Prasadam, they come around with extra luxuries or something, and you really want one, but because there's all the other devotees there, you say, no, 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 no. Uh, we just studied negative instruction, that's in her head. Then they will criticize me. But in your mind, in your heart, you're thinking, oh, I should have taken that gulajaman. <laughs> Why didn't I take that? So what is our real desire? You know, do we really want to get free of birth and death? Do we really take it seriously? The other day, one of my friends sent me a series of drawings of the baby in the womb at different stages. And as I was looking at it, I thought, I really don't want to do that again. It does not look like fun. You know, just like this. Oh, like this. And upside down. You know, and you can move a little bit like this. You know. And then you're pushed out and where am I? And who are these people? And how did I get here? What language are they speaking? And what did I do to get a body again? And so forth. We don't take it seriously. We just say, oh yeah, yeah, that's what it is. So to become attached to Krishna and get free of this birth and death. And then Prabhupada is telling this story in text 27 to report about Sanatana Goswami and the touchstone. How one man came to Sanatana Goswami, give me your greatest thing. And he says, oh, it's over there in the rubbish pile. A stone that you touch anything with it, it turns into gold. So that sounds pretty good, huh? I wouldn't mind one of those. So the man also felt, yes, now I have my heart's desire. And he took it and he's turning things into gold. And he's, yes, I'm rich. I can get whatever I want. And then at a certain point, he stopped and said, wait a minute. What was it doing in the rubbish sheep? If he put it in the rubbish sheep, he must have something better. So when we become attached to Krishna, we can get something better than a touchstone. We can get something so wonderful. These stories are there to illustrate that when you have Krishna consciousness, it's so wonderful that the most wonderful things in the world, I think for most people, a magic stone that could turn anything to gold would be really up there. With something that's high, would be highly desirable, wouldn't it? Like much more than the new Apple phone or whatever's shipped to Tahiti or whatever it is that people find desirable. And Sanatana Goswami just didn't care. So just imagine how wonderful attachment to Krishna must be if you don't care for things like that. Just like we're driving here from Delhi, and there's people even here in Vrindavan, there's people going through the rubbish sheets looking for something, right? Children are looking for food or something to sell. So we look at that, I hope, and we feel disgusted. We're disgusted. Why? Because we have nice things. We have things nice enough, we would never think to look through the rubbish pile. So those who are attached to Krishna, they see material enjoyment as like a big rubbish pile. They see it like like that. What appears valuable to us. 
and such a great treasure that even peace is not interesting. And therefore, Quinty is saying, 25, let them come again. I'd rather have you, Krishna, with calamities than peace without you. Now, maybe we love someone in our life so much that we felt like this. You know, I'd rather be with you in trouble than without you in peace. And that's what Kunti is saying. Being with Krishna, that's above, above touchstones and gold and material opulence. His peace. Shanti. Equipoise. Krishna speaks a lot in the Bhagavad Gita about being equipoised. But above being equipoised is being in Krishna's adventure. Even if being Krishna's adventure means all the things that Kunti lists that happened to her and her family over and over and over. Let, let terrible things happen if I can be with you. If I can be with you, it doesn't matter. That means the pleasure from being with Krishna, being attached to Krishna, must be very high. And when being with Krishna is in text 25, that is again a recurring theme. That the ocean of material life becomes like a little, little tiny puddle, like a calf footprint. Of course, most of us here in Vrindavan, you see, but most of us in the world don't have calf footprint experiences. But a little tiny puddle. So I'm sure that all of us in this room have this experience. We had some big attachment some big anartha, some big problem, and when we surrendered to Krishna, it became nothing, isn't it? We don't even remember them, they become nothing. When I preach, it's quite common that people will say things like, what should I do if I become a devotee? Then some people in my family, some of my friends, they're not interested in Krishna. How will I deal with that? And whenever I hear this question, I think, what a silly problem. What does it matter, these friends and this family? You're not going to surrender to Krishna because some family member or some friend is opposed to it? How silly. But then I remember that there was a time that I thought like that. That the opinion of my family and friends were very important. And I was so scared if I surrender to Krishna, what will happen to my friendships and my family members? And now that's nothing. Not even, I never think about it, not even for one fraction of a second. But there was a time it was a big problem. And it's nothing. So I mean, we can think of so many things. I'm sure you can all think of so many things. You probably can't even, don't even think of them because they've now become nothing. You know, some of us used to eat meat and it's nothing. We, don't, we never think, oh, I wish I could eat an animal. Or, doesn't even occur to the mind. It's, it's non-existent. And yet we look at our problems now and our attachments now and we think, oh, it's a great ocean. And we may get discouraged. How will I ever cross across this great ocean? I mean, when I look at the difference, whenever I get a little inkling of what, it, what Krishna consciousness really is, you know, when I first joined, I just thought, oh, yes, I'm Christian conscious. Training 16 rounds, going on the Lord, following principles, going on book distribution all day. I am Christian conscious. And at some point, I realized that I wasn't at all Christian conscious. And the Christian consciousness was something really amazing. And then you look at where you are, and you look at what Christian consciousness is, and you go, oh, wow. There's the Pacific Ocean between where I want to go and what I am. But that, it becomes nothing. It becomes nothing. It becomes like such a little puddle. Not even a big puddle where you have to think how to step so you don't get your shoes wet such a little puddle that you don't even you don't even notice 
Like Narada, when he left his body, he didn't even notice lightning and illumination occurring simultaneously. He was basically not aware that he was giving up his body. Or Dhruva, where death comes, he just steps on the head of death. So all of our anarthas, all of our attachments, all of our problems, this one nice letter pro says, what are these stumbling blocks? With one kick, I can take out all of your stumbling blocks. So we should have some confidence. Just like so many difficulties, I'm sure. Everybody here has things that used to be difficult and are now easy. Everybody? Yes. I mean, I remember also when I first tried to chant Japa, one man, two man, so difficult. How do the devotees chant 16 rounds every day? I couldn't even imagine. Things that were so hard, and now they're just. You don't even think, oh, this is hard. Just, just there. So one day, love and Krishna will also be like that. All right, how do we get to that stage where we're actually beyond birth and death? Prabhupada says the devotee's happy because the devotee's confident on going back to God. They know. But we have such a great treasure that even a touchstone wouldn't particularly interest us might interest us for service, but wouldn't interest us personally, because we already have everything. Even peace wouldn't interest us. We'd be having too much fun in Krishna's adventures. Why would I want a peaceful life when I'm in Krishna's adventures? That's how Kunti is thinking. Right? And where the material problems are nothing. We, we don't even notice them. We're hardly even aware of them. The Shastra says, like an intoxicated person doesn't know if they're dressed or not. So hopefully we've never been such a person, but I'm sure you've seen such a person. <laughs> well, we used to see in New York, when we would go to Mangalarti, the only people left on the streets at that time in the morning were the prostitutes coming home and the drunks coming home. The, you know, these drunks, they, they don't, they're not really aware. What are they wearing? How are they wearing? They're singing loudly. They're doing their own Sankirtan. It's fun. <laughs> of Krishna's names. And they're singing some song, you know. They're not even aware that I'm singing at 4 o'clock in the morning in the middle of the street. So the devotee's not aware of their material problems exactly like that. It's not aware of them. There's no meaning. They may be aware in a very uh, detached way. Like you're driving a car and you see it's low on petrol, you have to get petrol. But you don't feel hungry because your car's low on petrol get some of them, you know, you're not affected. So how do we do this? First to become, I've written the different areas, first to become absorbed in Krishna. So become absorbed in Krishna's beauty, which Kunti compares to a lotus. Krishna's lotus navel, Garbhadakashai Vishnu, from his, from his navel a lotus is growing. His eyes are like lotuses cooling. And Krishna's mercy, how he comes to the world to reclaim us. We don't even so much want to be reclaimed, but still. You know, if we try to do a favor for someone and that person is not so enthusiastic, do we still do it or do we just say, well, forget it? And Krishna's coming and he's saying, yes, take this. Uh, Let me pull you out of this suffering. You can stand up. And having everything in life remind us of Krishna. So Prabhupada says, quite interesting uh, in his lecture, that whenever we see a lotus, we can remember Krishna. And I was thinking, well, in my life I don't see lotuses very often. That's not. I mean, just recently I was in Mayapur and there was a huge area with lotuses. Devotees would go out in a boat and pick the lotuses from the deities, but Generally in my life, I don't see lotuses. Sometimes I see water lilies, not using lotuses. It's interesting that Shiva Prabhupada says this. It's as if Prabhupada's writing from a place and a time when there were lotuses growing everywhere, and every time you see one, you think, oh, yes, Krishna. But Prabhupada talks about everything can remind us of Krishna, everything. And he gives an incredible example. And he says, if you're a drunk person, your wine can remind you of Krishna. And he says, if you think 
Krishna's this nice taste of my liquor. Of course, you can tell probably never tasted liquor because liquor doesn't have a nice taste. <laughs> if the drunkard is thinking that Krishna's the nice taste of my liquor, then he said pretty soon he'll become a saintly person. This, my friends, is extraordinary, amazing, incredible. At this point, I find devotees really hesitate to accept this point. And devotees really want to say, hey, okay, this is Krishna, and this is Maya, and when you're in Maya, you better just feel bad. You better just feel guilty, and you better just feel, you know... But that's not what Prabhupada's saying here is when you're in Maya, you should remember Krishna. Of course, then what will happen? If you remember Krishna when you're in Maya, what will happen? You'll come out of Maya. Okay, this is... If you're sleeping, please stand up. If you want me to be more interesting, I mean, I don't know how to dance or anything. Fireworks. Juggling acts. This is, this is, please, this is so interesting. I know you have a whole day of classes, and I don't know how you manage it, really. If I did that, I'd be falling asleep after 15 minutes. I'm, I'm doing my best. So, this is such an interesting point. Please listen to this very carefully. If this is the only thing you get out of all these days, of all these verses, in the 8th and the ninth chapter, it will be something well-gotten. How do you feel about people that you owe money to? You don't want to see them. You don't want to see them, yes. Isn't that interesting? If you owe money to somebody, you don't want to see them. Why? When you see them, you feel? Guilty. Guilty. Now guess what? We're all in that position in relationship to Krishna. He's giving us everything. I mean, really everything. He's the, the life air. He's the fire of digestion. He's the light of the sun. He's the heat of the sun. He's our ability. He's our intelligence. What is he not? He's giving us everything. And we're not properly reciprocating with him. So we feel guilty. Now, when you join the Hare Krishna movement and you decide to be a devotee, are we always able to be perfect devotees? Anyone here want to say they are always a perfect devotee? So we do things that are wrong. Now we do things that are wrong, we also feel guilty. We feel bad, we feel guilty, we feel ashamed. When we feel guilty, we avoid the person who made us feel guilty. avoid Krishna more. It's quite interesting. And that increases the things we're doing wrong. So if I do something wrong and I think, oh, you know, I don't want to think about Krishna now. Because if I think about Krishna now, I'll feel ashamed. So we avoid thinking about Krishna. But when we avoid thinking about Krishna, guess what? We do more wrong things. And then we're even more ashamed. And then we avoid thinking about Krishna more. And then because we're avoiding thinking about Krishna more, we do more wrong things. And then we can go on being a superficial devotee. Kind of devotee. You know, we know how to put on the tilak and look the part. And, you know, maybe pretty soon our secret life really gets to be bad. And more and more, we don't want to think about Krishna. So Srila Prabhupada is suggesting here something radical. That whatever pleasure we get from something wrong, see that pleasure as Krishna. And people are so afraid to do this. They'll think, well, if I do that, then I'll never want to give it up. It's my guilt that forces me to give it up. It doesn't actually work like that. It just doesn't. What happens is if I'm enjoying something nonsense, whatever it may be, big thing, little thing, and 
enjoying criticizing other devotees or whatever it is. If I see, you know, the pleasure I'm getting from this thing is actually Krishna. What will happen? Remember Krishna. And you'll think, if this little thing that's sinful can give me pleasure, what about the big things that are Krishna conscious? Why am I being content? Why am I accepting this drop of pleasure when I could have the whole ocean? Does that make sense to everybody? And Prabhupada says that if you see Krishna as the pleasure, even in your sinful activities, you'll eventually become a saintly person. Now, this doesn't mean people should do sinful activities, but if we're doing sinful activities anyway, by sinful activities, I don't mean just breaking the regulated principles, but there's many little sins. I mean, even just thinking critically about another devotee is a sin, by the way. Right? Does this make sense to everybody? So what pleasure when I'm being critical? I'm getting some pleasure. That pleasure is Krishna. How could I get the real pleasure? I can meditate on Krishna criticizing the demons on the battlefield. Then I'd actually have some pleasure. Whatever little pleasure I get from being critical of the other devotees or being critical of anybody, I can get so much more pleasure meditating on Krishna's Dhiravata aspect where he is Varaha's criticizing Hiranyaka. Does this make sense to everyone? So that's much better than just saying, oh, I'm so fallen, I'm so wretched because I'm criticizing you. That's not humility anyway. We talked about humility is joyful. That's not humility. It just isn't. And it pushes you away from Krishna. Then you're like, oh, so I'm so fallen, I can't go to Krishna anymore, I can't see Krishna, I can't. I don't really want to be attentive in my rounds because then I'll be in a relationship with Krishna and then I'll see Krishna and then I'll feel so bad. So having everything in our life remind us of Krishna. Everything. And to do this, my suggestion, and someday maybe I'll write a book on the topic. I wrote already five articles for Back to Godhead on how to see Krishna in earth, water, fire, air, and space. I also give that as a series of seminars. But I, I've often thought of writing a little book on how to meditate on Krishna in the world. You know, in everything. Krishna purifiers, I am the wind. Of lights, I am the sun. Everything. If everything, Prabhupada says, just like if you love your child and you see something that belongs to your child immediately, of your child. So to have everything remind us of Krishna. Really, it's not that you have to come to Vrindavan and be in the temple room to think of Krishna. In fact, you can be in Vrindavan in the temple room and the Lord knows what you're thinking about. But one can think about Krishna in any situation. So that's one way to be absorbed in Krishna. Mam Anusmaram Yudhya Cha. Think of me and fight. Can you imagine? Think of Krishna and fight. Fighting is so intense. Now it would have to take all your mental focus. You're trying to kill and not be killed. How intense of a situation is that? And still, Mama Nusram Yujiacha. Using, uh, so that's from text 22. Text 23, using good and bad situations to increase our attachment to Krishna. So I gave the example yesterday of my devotee friend who gave me the sari that I had wanted that I thought about for 20 seconds and never told anybody about. And I could see that that was Krishna. And Prabhupada says when the good things come, we see it's Krishna, but also when the bad things come. You know, and Peter Burwar said that Prabhupada told him, never hate the instrument of your karma. That everything that's coming to us is coming to us from Krishna. You may be the instrument, or you may be the instrument, or you may be the instrument, or you may be the instrument. But it's Krishna. Ayendra Guru writes a very nice section about this in his book. 
about if a young boy wants to get the attention of a young girl and they stick her hair in the ink and throw paper at her during class. Try to try to get her attention. And uh, Andrew tells the story of Gorky Shardas Babaji that some local children were throwing rocks at him. And he said, he said, I know who's doing this. He says, I'm going to tell Mother Yasoda on you if you don't stop it. So this is the, the mood of the devotee. There's always Krishna. Whatever happens to us, it's all Krishna. How can I remember Krishna's good situation? How can I remember Krishna's... Sometimes some people, when everything's good, they remember Krishna. Right? They have enough money and their health is good and everybody likes them that day and, you know... Nothing breaks. They get everything done on their to-do list. Yes, Krishna. Oh, I'm thinking about Krishna. And then when their health breaks and their friends criticize them and they don't get anything done on their to-do list. and Oh, where's Krishna? What's the use of this Krishna? I worship him. He doesn't even take care of me. Forget about this Krishna. And then you have some people who are the opposite. When everything's good. <laughs> Any of you know Kalangana from the manor? Makes the milk sweets. Any of you know? She's a, you know, she's a disciple of Prabhupada. She's like 79 years old, I think. And she makes these incredible milk sweets from their own, from the milk from their own cows. So she and I were taking a Japa walk, and one woman saw us and asked directions. And Kalamana said, Well, you can walk with us. We're going that way. We will take you there. So we're walking, and then Kalamana, I felt so embarrassed. But Kalamana starts preaching to this lady. I'm like, oh my God. Telling her she should chant Hare Krishna. And this woman says, I'll pray to God when I have a problem. I don't have any problems right now. Why should I pray? So many times there's people like that who think, you know, why do I have to go? Hey, sometimes you read stories like this and somebody they'll say, you know, a tornado, you all know what a tornado is? like a mini cyclone. So a tornado, we have them mostly in America. So a tornado was, was in my neighborhood and I was worried that it had ruined my house and my wife and child were dead and I hadn't been to church in 40 years but I started to pray. You know, so many times, true stories, many true stories like this. I remember a, a book one of my devotee friends gave me about a man who had been shot over Vietnam from his plane and was in prison for seven years. And how when he was falling from the plane, he said, God, I haven't prayed to you in 20 years, but please save me now. So this is typical. And Prabhupada talks about the astronauts, when the astronauts were in trouble. And the President of the United States says, now everybody has to pray. So, you know, the President doesn't get up and say, it's a fine day, let's pray. <laughs> So you have many people, when everything's good, where is Krishna? Who cares? You know. And then when everything's bad, oh, Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. And then you have people who, that's the opposite. Right? When everything's good, they remember Krishna. When everything's bad, they're not interested in Krishna. So we should remember Krishna in the good times and the bad times. Everything's going well, we should remember Krishna. Everything's not going well, we should remember Krishna. And see how Krishna's behind everything. Krishna's behind the so-called good things and Krishna's behind the so-called bad things. Like Kunti gives this list of the dangers, the poison cake, the vicious assembly, the fire. Prabhupada says something so interesting about the fire, which again I thought, wow, we could talk about this for a long time. That the Pandavas were told by Vidura that there would be a fire. So why did they go? was that they went because Jitarashtra was their guardian and their superior and they didn't want to disobey their superior he said you should go but they built a tunnel under the house and I, I thought in modern society that kind of obedience to a superior would be considered really madness well, we have our, our abuse training does something wrong, you say no, you run away. Right? This, is, this would be abuse. Wouldn't it be abuse if you try to burn somebody to death? Is that counted as abuse? Yes? 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 
Yes. Yes. More than abuse. More than abuse. Definitely physical abuse, isn't it? Is it? Yes? No? Yes? We're sleeping? Okay. So if your father wants to burn you to death, that's abuse. And the Pandavas knew, and they said, okay, we're going. Of course, they made some plan for their escape, but Pandavas said they didn't want to be disobedient to a superior. I mean, I can't even fathom that. I can't, I just, with my cultural conditioning, I can't even relate to that. Why would you want to obey a superior to that extent? Such a different kind of culture that existed thousands of years ago. Maybe some of you can relate to it, but I couldn't. So this list, so Kunti's saying, when there were these terrible things happening, here was Krishna. She didn't say, why did you let all these terrible things happen? Saying, you saved us from each of these. You know, Krishna saved, okay, but the fire happened. The attempt to disrobe the Jopati happened. She wasn't disrobed, but the attempt was there. That's bad enough, by the way. If we were in the temple room and someone tried to take all our clothes off, I mean, that would be bad enough that they were trying. That's, that's not nothing. And your relative tries to poison you, even if they don't succeed. That's, but she said, you saved us. And then Prabhupada says in uh, text 23, sometimes Krishna creates the danger. So I saw a nice quote like this once, that people try pray to God when the foundations of their world are shaking, not realizing that it's God who's shaking the foundations. And, you know, I thought of the boat pastime. You all know the boat pastime? Do you all know the boat pastime? So the gopis have to cross Manasa Ganga to go sell their milk products in Mathura. And they see they see a boat. There's not very many boats. They see one boat there. And it's Krishna, of course, but they don't immediately recognize that it's Krishna. And he's, he appears as an old boatman. He says, my boat's not very good. It's full of holes. I don't think you should go in it. They said, well, we don't have any choice. We have to cross. And uh, you're the only boatman available. He says, okay, but I've warned you. It's a bad boat. <laughs> so they get in it, and as they're crossing, a storm comes. Who do you think created the storm? <laughs> so this storm comes, and then the boat starts filling with water. And the gopis are all scared. Who's making them scared? Krishna. And Krishna's saying, you know, okay, it's too heavy. You guys are too heavy. Throw your milk pots overboard. So they throw them. It says, throw your jewelry overboard. It says, throw your clothes overboard. <laughs> so Krishna created the, the, the danger. Right? In the swing pastimes also, you know, Radha will say to Krishna, don't swing too high. So what does Krishna do? He swings higher. Why? So Radha Radha will hug him and say, save me, save me. Krishna's creating the, the, the problem. So we'll come and say, save me, save me. And we do this even with our children. Those of you who are parents. So you're playing with your children and pretend to be a monster. How don't you ever done that? You go around and jump. And the child laughs and they run away. Right? And you're chasing them. And you're enjoying and they are enjoying. And then they come to you, save me, save me, save me. From whom you and Prabhupada talks about how we can be absorbed in Krishna in the form of the deity. So in order to achieve these things that we talked about, right, we talked about freedom from birth and death, getting such a great treasure that a touchstone is insignificant, such a great treasure that ordinary peace is irrelevant, having our problems go down to a puddle. We can become absorbed in Krishna, his beauty, his mercy, connecting everything in our life, Seeing the good and the bad is an impetus to connect with him. Seeing that Krishna is behind everything. Then the next main area we're going to look at how to achieve these things is to use everything for Krishna. Practically using everything for Krishna. By the way, this is another item of humility. Humility means that nothing belongs to me. My talents, my intelligence, my abilities, my money, my beauty, my connections, etc., they're not mine, they belong to Krishna. And how do I know that they, how do I show that I believe that? 
is that I use them for Krishna. If I just say, oh yes, this is Krishna's, this is Krishna's, this is Krishna's, this is Krishna's, but then I use them for myself, then I don't believe that they're Krishna's. Does that make sense to everybody? So that's a practical demonstration of humility. So in one sense, uh, we can relate this to the word Rishikesh that Kunji uses in text 23. That Krishna is the master of my senses. Krishna is the owner of my senses. Krishna is the owner of my hand. Krishna is the owner of my eyes. Krishna is the owner of everything. He owns it. How do I know he owns it? He can take it back whenever he wants. Can Krishna take my hand? Yes. Whenever he wants. Does he have to ask my permission? Or may I please take your hand? No, he doesn't. He can just take it. Correct? So it must belong to him. That's how you know who the owner is. Just like if you're renting, the landlord can come and say, get out. Happened to my daughter at Govardhan. They were renting. Actually, it was kind of funny because they were having so many problems with the electricity. They were having electrical fires one after another. And my son-in-law started praying to Govardhan, Govardhan, please give us... Oh, and they also didn't have water. They were regularly running out of water and having to walk a long distance and bring water from a pump. And, and my son-in-law prayed, please Govardhan, please give us a stable electrical and water situation. And I think the next day the landlord came and said, I need to give this place to my relatives. You have four days to get out. And then they ended up staying in uh, his... Uh, his stepmother's MBT apartment. So where they have very stable water and electricity. Uh, but anyway, the point is the landlord can always tell you to get out. Or the government, even if you own your house. I think in every country they have something that we have in America called eminent domain. We're fighting this now in Bhubaneswar, where the government says we want to build a road, or we want to build a shopping center and your house is in the way, you have to get out. And in the American Constitution, the government has to pay you, uh, but they don't have to pay you what you would get if you sold the place. They have to pay you something. So here's some money for your house, get out. Krishna doesn't even have to pay you. You just say, get out. So how do you know even when you're owning that the government is a real owner? And even for the governments, Sometimes Krishna says to the government, get out. You can be the king and queen of France, and next day you have no head. So Krishna is the real owner. Now if we take something that belongs to somebody else and use it for ourselves, what are we? We are the thief. That is called vikarma. Prabhupada says something just wonderful in a lecture on our context 23. It really struck me. That if we're using everything for Krishna, then we should be thinking of how Krishna can be happy. He said, usually we're thinking of how we can be happier or how our friends and relatives or our country can be happy. It really struck me because my daughter just moved to Mayapur a couple months ago and she's teaching there in the school. And it's a very different system of teaching. And she was having a difficult time adjusting to their system. So I was there, and I was coming to her classroom almost every day and trying to help her. And like she didn't like the mask program, so we ordered an American mask program and photocopied for her and arranged how to pay for her. I was very absorbed in, I want my daughter to be happy. And when I was reading this with Jiva Prabhupada, I was thinking, how much am I absorbed in? I want Krishna to be happy like that. You know, I, often I'm absorbed in, I want me to be happy. Is the AC working? Is the fan working? Do I have enough water? Do I have enough food? Are my clothes getting clean? I, I want me to be happy. Or I'm thinking about somebody that I'm attached to. I want them to be happy. Are they happy? Are they okay? Is this how much are we really thinking? Is Krishna happy? Does Krishna have enough water? Does he have enough food? Does he have some nice flowers? Does he have some nice clothes for today? Does he like what I'm doing right now? You know, is he, is he pleased with how I'm spending my energy and my time? Is he happy? Oh, we already know how to do this. 
We all know how to do this, right? Do we all know how to meditate on our own happiness? Who here knows how to meditate on their own happiness? Who knows how to meditate on their own happiness? Some of you need a mother. Okay, do we all know how to meditate on somebody else's happiness? Who here knows how to meditate on somebody else's happiness? I'll train you later, happiness. Now, we all know how to do this. A very wonderful class Prabhupada gave in Sanan India. He said, we all know what is attachment. Some of you are not sure you know what attachment is, but... We all know what is attachment. We all have someone we love. At least we love ourselves. You know? We all know. It's just transferring the object. Instead of thinking, oh, is my son okay? Is my daughter okay? Is my mommy okay? Is this cow okay? Am I okay? It's Krishna. I was Krishna. And thinking, whatever I own that is Krishna's, that is a kinchana. What Kunji talks about in text 25. To be without material possessions. Now, we might think of that just like I'm sure many of you have seen that man on the Parakram path right before you turn off to the wholesome grocery store. You've all seen him, right? So he's been there for like, I don't know, 14 years, something like that. This man is without possessions literally without possessions. He lives on the street. Sometimes he walks a few meters here or there. He has no clothing. People give him blankets. And he must keep getting blankets. He doesn't have the same ones every time I see him. So people give him blankets and he sort of kind of covers himself with a blanket and at night he lies on a blanket on the street and obviously people are feeding him because he's still living. And he even has some friends. Sometimes you see people sitting around talking to him. But this man really has no possessions. He has absolutely nothing. So when Kunti says a kinchana, does she mean we all have to live like that? Is this now going to be our program and the Hare Krishna movement? Everybody, you know, lie naked on the streets of Vrindavan and hope that somebody brings you blankets. So, and in fact, Kunti was, was Kunti living like this? Was Kunti living like this? No. Of course, at the end of her life, when she followed Dhritarashtra and Gantari, uh, they were living uh, with practically with nothing. Uh, the Pandit was also at the end. They lived with practically nothing externally. And of course, we have Gorkishore Das Babaji, who lived just by a, a toilet, right, with nothing. And sometimes we think if people live with nothing, that means they're very spiritual and that they live with something that's not very spiritual. Even Gadadhar Pandi was a little bewildered at first by Pandari Vijayaniti, who had lots of somethings. So we think, you know, a kinchana must mean I don't have anything. And we find, you know, in Christianity, the monks and the nuns, they take a vow of poverty. I was reading from uh, St. Teresa of Avila about how much she enjoys the vow of poverty. She says, when you have nothing, then uh, people don't, they're not interested in flattering you anymore. So people only flatter those who are rich. And if you actually have nothing, then most of the world will leave you alone. If you, nobody tries to exploit you because you have nothing to exploit. And it's really a nice position of freedom. But we are also willing to have so many things that we use in service. So many things we use in service. I, I, I've been traveling the world now with one little bag, mostly because the airlines now charge money for bags. But what's really heavy in my bag are my deities and my electronics. And sometimes I think, well, if I got rid of those, then I could travel with just like 5 kgs. But that's my service to my deities and, and my writing and so forth. So service is a higher principle than just to be without possessions. If I, if I got rid of my service, then that would Krishna would be happy with that. Just so I could be proud. Sudama Brahmana, you know, the Acharyas say that the reason Krishna gave Sudama Brahmana a palace is that he was proud of his renunciation. He was thinking, oh, I have nothing to I'm very spiritual. So, of course, it's nice to be simple. One should try to be simple. 
it's, it, is, it is very satisfying being sent. But we should have what we need and needs are appropriate to our varna and ashram and to our own personality. What I need and what you need may be quite different. What's a necessity for me may be a luxury for you and vice versa. You know, I'm here with my 14-year-old grandson and he was really saying, Grandma, I really want some nice prasada. I said, like, what do you want? He said, I wish I could eat a burrito. So I called his mother and I said, you know, can you please send me some money to buy him some nice prasada? Because he's just, I said, I want him to be happy in Vrindavan and he's 14 and he's growing like crazy. He has to eat, you know, 10 times a day. And I want to make sure he has something nice to eat. I don't need to eat burritos, I don't mind. I'm not feeling I have to eat a pizza, I have to eat a burrito. But for him, that's what he needs. So we have different needs. And he's probably not going to feel that way when he's 30. So we have different needs at different times in our life. You know, you see the, the young married woman who's all decked out in jewelry and beautiful clothes. And, but that's in the Bhagavatam. She's supposed to dress like that. You know, if she's dressing like that when she's 80, then that's a little problem. But there's, and my point is that what is, what is simple and what is possessionless, that is different for different people at different times. You can't say nobody should have this or everybody should have this. It's very personal. And it's not so much how much we have, but it's what we're doing with it. Why do we have it? Are we, are we really using it in service? Are we using service as an excuse for something we don't actually need? Do we have the mood of service? Do we have the mood that this is Krishna's? Am I using it in service? Uh, physically, and that I'm using it in service mentally, or am I thinking, oh, this is mine to use in service? So everything is Krishna's. And a material opulence, we can think about the difference, Kunti talks in 25, also about this material opulence. Aristocratic parents, she talks about aristocratic parents, money, education, and beauty. So everybody's mad after this. Everybody wants to be, you know, from a good, famous family and have a lot of money. We were speaking the other day about the socioeconomic status, right? The socioeconomic status is how much money you have, how much, generally, your family, how much money do they have, what's the education level of your parents, and what's the status of their occupation. And you can predict almost anything from socioeconomic status. You can predict crime rate. You can predict how well kids will do in school. You can predict divorce rate. You can predict somebody's health. Almost anything, if you know socioeconomic status. It's the biggest predictor of just about everything else. And people are thinking, if I can just get this, then I'll be materially happy. And Quinty's saying that people get intoxicated by this. Oh, now I'm happy. So foolish. It's like if you're in the jail. You know, if in the jail you have a television set and then you think, oh, now I'm happy. Or somebody in the hospital probably gives this example. You go to someone who's sick in the hospital. How are you? Oh, I am fine. You know, tubes are coming out of your nose and your ears and your ears. I am fine. <laughs> so that's our position, you know. We're thinking if I can just be comfortable, if I can have this opulence, then no problems and we become intoxicated and we forget Krishna and then we'll take birth again. So if our material comfort makes us forget Krishna, then be simple. If you can use material comfort, if you can put the proper, we'll say the ones in front of the zeros. Use your beauty to serve Krishna. Use your wealth to serve Krishna. Use your aristocratic parentage, like our Ambarish Prabhu. Use your education to serve Krishna. Then it becomes valuable. But if you use it for intoxication, then it ruins you. And far better to have a life without material opulence, where we become Krishna conscious, than a life of material opulence and comfort, where we forget Krishna. That doesn't mean we have to be uncomfortable. But if we notice that some of our comforts is making us forget Krishna, get rid of them. Like Bilba Mangala took out his own eyes. Because they were making him forget Krishna. 
we have, we have to be very honest with ourselves. And maybe what someone else can use in service, I can't. Maybe there's something that someone else can use in service, but if I have it, I forget Krishna. The materialists see that opulence, these four items of opulence, they're the goals of life. And the spiritualists see these are very dangerous. These are very, very dangerous, these material opulences. Let me use them just to serve Krishna. And uh, just a, a little side point here. I, I often think about the six opulences and how really... You know, we talked also about being envious of Krishna. Really what we want to do is we all want to enjoy and control the six opulences, which are all manifestations, of course, of Lakshmi or Radharani, that I want to enjoy Lakshmi without Krishna. So strength, wealth, beauty, fame, knowledge, and renunciation. We want to enjoy these, the renunciation detachment. We want to enjoy these things without Krishna. And we can meditate on something that may be helpful is we can meditate on how flickering these are. Chanchala. So flickering. So you have strength. And so you may see some man, you know, when he's 20 years old and he looks kind of like a gorilla from lifting weights. Right? And then you look at him when he's 60 years old and it's gone. It's gone. Or one accident, again, it can be gone. I remember taking a class once and teaching, and one of the other students wasn't devoting. One of the other students was saying how he had always had the best. He was always the top of his class. I think it was in Princeton. He was a medical doctor. He was always the top. Everything. And then one day he got into a car accident. And then he couldn't be the best anymore. Because it doesn't take much for our strength to be gone. And wealth, wealth can be gone very fast. I've seen Krishna has many ways of giving money and many ways of taking it away. I was, I was calculating one time, because I'll travel and people will pay me back for the tickets. So I was calculating and my, my son said, Mata, you're $400 short. I said, how could I lose $400? I used to be the treasurer of the Chicago Temple and Boston Temple. And I was like, how could I lose $400? And we were trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. We realized the exchange rate had changed. I hadn't lost any money, but the money we had lost. You understand? I still had the cash, but it wasn't worth as much anymore. I thought Krishna has so many ways of taking away. There's so many ways of giving. There's so many ways of taking. You lose all your wealth in an instant. Especially the kind of wealth we have today. You know, all it takes is some problem with the economic situation of the world, and a person looks on their computer at their bank balance and it's not worth anything. Right? And beauty, oh, that's really fragile. First of all, all you have to do is live long enough and you'll lose your beauty. I have not seen beauty. 80-year-old person. So I remember when my mother was dying, she was 89, and uh, she wasn't able to eat for the last three months. So she looked like a, a walking skeleton. She looked like somebody walked out of the Nazi concentration camps. And when she was 15, she was a beauty queen. She won a beauty contest and traveled all over the world as a beauty queen. Where was it? It was gone. You know, again, one accident. You get burned, you get something. And knowledge, you know, today the, your knowledge becomes outdated very quickly. You can know how to do something, and the next year everything you know how to do isn't worth anything anymore. And again, some accident, some disease, a stroke, whatever, and your knowledge is gone. And fame, oh, how flickering is fame, especially the internet. One day famous, or next day infamous. One day famous, next day forgotten. Renunciation is a nicer one. That's a nicer opulence. Because it's pretty hard for anyone to take the renunciation away from you. Of course, Krishna can tempt you in such a way that you will give up your renunciation. He knows what our weaknesses are. But renunciation is a much nicer opulence than any of the other ones. 
it's not so dependent on external circumstances. It's a, it's a definitely a nice, a nice to be detached, to be able to be happy uh, if you get uh, some cheesecake, and to be happy if you get unsalted rice, to be happy if people praise you, to be happy if people blame you, to be happy if you have a nice bed to lie in, and be happy if you lie on the ground. That's, that opulence is quite wonderful. But even that, Krishna, can take away. Like he forced Udama Brahmana to give up his detachment. And also saying that everything belongs to Krishna means being kind to all other jivas. Srila Prabhupada includes this in discussing text 26. So, being kind to others. Prabhupada includes not killing animals. And he also includes not, uh, basically no racism. Not discriminating on the basis you're from America, you're from Europe, you're from here, you're from there. He doesn't include this specifically in this, but I would say also this includes not being cruel to people just because they're women, just because they're men. As we looked at the first chairs, we can take a break. Um, take a break for about 10 minutes. And we'll deal with the last two areas and then questions.